Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we are talking about She-Hulk. The season has wrapped up, but we've got a lot to say, along with comic book extraordinaire expert Jessica Plummer. All that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm your host, I'm Matthew. I use they, them pronouns. I have a returning guest, someone who we often turn to for stuff about comic books and their history, but especially I know uh, she was a big, big fan of She-Hulk. We've had her on before, Jessica Plummer. Uh, Jessica, say hello and uh, tell us a bit about yourself for those who don't remember. Hi, thank you for having me. I am Jess Plummer, she, her pronouns. Um, uh, as Matthew said, I am a huge comic book nerd. I'm a big fan of She-Hulk. I am an even bigger fan of uh not so surprised guest star who we will definitely be mm-hmm. talking about who appeared in a couple of these episodes and I'm really excited to talk about the rest of the show. So those of you may remember Jess came on and talked to us about episodes one and two and kind of what the show was starting and all of our like kind of hopes and expectations and why we were uh, so excited about what was happening. So now that it's all done kind of what's some of your overall thoughts? I really liked it. I I really enjoyed that it was truly a superhero sitcom, which really wasn't mm-hmm. clear. Like the first episode was funny, but yeah. it wasn't clear that it would be a sitcom because it had that running gag of Jen being like, no, 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 it's a sitcom. I don't want to do a superhero thing. And it is genuinely a sitcom. Um, it has the stakes of a sitcom. It has the pacing of a sitcom. And I don't think we've really ever seen like there was that show powerless which i didn't watch but um Mm -hmm. with vanessa hudgens that was like set in the dc universe but that wasn't actually about a superhero um right but i don't think we've ever seen something like this that's not like a parody character like the tick um and i think that she hulk is a perfect character to do it with for sure. Like WandaVision started to give us this like homage to old sitcoms. But of course, we found out that there was a very deep story here with very high stakes. And, and it definitely turned into the kind of traditional season long plot. And I have to say, and I, I kind of delighted in how many people got mad about this. I loved that it was something totally new. And that like every week you'd have people being like, oh, this is it's a filler episode. It's boring. When are we going to get to the point? And that kind of was the point, I felt like. It's just that it was a a day-in-the-life great show. And there was an overall plot. It was about her trying to figure out how to be both Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk. And But it, it didn't have to have the Marvel, you know, normal way of doing things. It could just be a sitcom. Yeah, it was character-based. And it, I mean, I'm, you know... I definitely want to talk about the finale, but the finale definitely commented on that, that it mm-hmm. it didn't follow the Marvel formula. And I am, God, so sick of the Marvel formula. Like, I am tired yeah. of Tony Stark in space and Tony Stark who is tiny and Tony Stark mm-hmm. who is a spider teenager. And, like, enough already. Jen Walters is not Tony Stark, and I very much appreciated that. Yeah. I think that's really true. And... It's funny. We'll get to the finale because it sounds like we might not have been quite on the same page with it, but just kind of as an overall statement, I feel like this show kind of saved the MCU for me because I was getting fairly tired of the, you know, we've gotten some great versions of it. Like I loved Shang-Chi. I loved Moon Knight, but it was very formulaic and you knew there was always going to be a big CGI battle at the end and the stakes were always going to go up and up and up. And I just found this really refreshing and it... It felt to me like it was was the MCU kind of saying like, yeah, 
we know we're not perfect. We know we've got problems, but we're going to try and still give us some great stuff anyway. But we're also going to be able to laugh at ourselves along the way. And I, I just thought that was such a, a nice change. Yeah, absolutely. I think the word refresh is a, a really good choice there because it was refreshing, but it also feels like a refresh. Like it, right. because like you said, everything had these like escalating stakes and that only goes so far. And because the stakes were so relatively small here, um, mm -hmm. and even like sort of undercut themselves on purpose for humor. Now that like the next thing that I go into, I don't need it to top She-Hulk because like, that would be silly. Like, yeah, there was no climax that you have to be Right. Yeah, it was a really nice change. And so I know you've talked before about how much you love She-Hulk in the comics. How much to you do you feel like in terms of what you wanted from She-Hulk on screen, how much did it fit that? 100%. I thought it was great. I mm -hmm. thought it was a fantastic adaptation of who she is as a character because, I mean, look, like she's been in many, many comics and I've mostly read her solo book and her appearances on the Fantastic Four. I'm not as well-versed in her time on the Avengers. I know mm -hmm. she's had more serious um, storylines. Um, she's had some really like deeply traumatic things happen to her. That's absolutely... Right still in canon but the she-hulk comics that i've really enjoyed have always been the ones that have those smaller stakes or maybe big stakes but silly ones um yeah that have you know she um in the 1980s series by john byrne she breaks the fourth wall she talks to the reader she like will literally grab John Byrne and yell at him or like tear through the pages, which feels very much mm -hmm. like what they were homaging in the finale. Um, and she is, she's a fun character to, um, to read or watch. And she's a character who has fun. And yeah. I really appreciate that this show didn't take that joy away from her, that it let her have a good time because the, the power fantasy of She-Hulk is in part, this woman's having a great time and I'm having a great time watching her have a great time. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's been most interesting in the discussion around it is that, you know, I mean, first of all, you had a lot of people saying like, oh, this is ruining She-Hulk because of all the fourth wall breaks. And so like, it's nice to remember, like, no, this is who she always has been. But in some ways, I feel like the sitcom... The sitcom style was so perfect because, as you said, this this isn't a power fantasy. It's a it's a having a good day fantasy, and it's a like there's a very distinct amount of power involved. But it felt to me like so much of the point of the show was about how she, the stuff she was dealing with. Like, yes, it was Titania, but it was also just like that person you don't like going to a wedding with you, you know, and yeah. like the 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 adventures of dating in the modern age, particularly from a, a woman's perspective and like all these kind of things. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, look, when you when you talk about superhero media, there's like distinct camps of fans. Um, mm -hmm. And there are some fans who really want everything to be bigger and higher stakes than the last time. And they care primarily about the action and like who would win in a fight kind of conversations. And there are fans who are much more interested in uh, the day-to-day -day lives of the characters, which we almost never get to see in like right. in the comics and the movies and the TV shows, you don't get to see characters having conversations or like doing chores or having a meal. Mm -hmm. And they're like, let me tell you, there is a robust fan fiction community filling in those gaps. But yep. 
for every fan Along with a lot of other things that are probably never going to appear on a TV screen, but uh, yes. <laughs> filling in many gaps. <laughs> you might have to cut that one. <laughs> we'll see. But, um, you know, for every fan who's mad that She-Hulk didn't punch Thanos at the end of the show, I mean, I guess he's mm-hmm. dead, but that doesn't matter. Um, there are fans who are happy that she just, like, had an annoying day at work because... Yeah, that's fun to watch. And then, of course, there are the fans who just want to see people do like read over legislative documents all day and argue about them. I mean, that's me. I yes, you, you, you're gently calling me out for like I, I've often said that what I want civil war to be is just the like endless negotiations over how exactly to have superhero stuff and in terms of the ethics stuff and all that. And, and I will say that, like, I was very glad that you and I had a conversation about it because I didn't know much about She-Hulk, but I did know that this was going to be She-Hulk attorney at law. And back when I was talking about Daredevil, like I remember one of the things that I got most excited about, especially because of the little bit of the Daredevil and the Jessica Jones comics I've read, is that I do think there are some fascinating legal issues that come up around the idea of superheroes. And I was really excited to see someone like seriously dive into it and like wrestle with those ethical questions. This wasn't that. And I felt like there's a couple ones that it raised that I think are still worth discussing. And like, but once I kind of, I feel like I got what the show was doing, I was able to just be like, okay, this is not like, yes, I've seen my share of legal dramas to know the idea that she would walk into a courtroom without having found out what her own client had put in the rockets of his space, you know, of his rocket uh, suit. No lawyer in the world would ever do that. They'd be fired immediately, uh, let alone their paralegal would sort of, but like, who cares? Because it made for a fun thing. And it gave her a chance to flirt with Matt Murdock. So, like, that's what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, no, not a good real world lawyer. I don't think that that's typical Jen behavior, but it's absolutely typical Matt behavior. Yes. <laughs> that man is not prepared for court. That's why he has that, foggy. That, yeah. Uh, and and I forget the name of her paralegal, but who is so Nikki. perfect in this. Yeah. Nikki, thank you. Yeah. I, I, like, and, 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 Let's kind of talk more about the sitcom aspect of it, because in terms of getting it, one of the parts of the discourse, and like we're always going to get some some elements of this. And I don't want I want to dive into like the 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 jerky part of fandom by any means, but I think one of the things that that got brought up, in some cases by some point people who aren't just out to troll, but was the idea of like, oh, like you know why is it that like every man she comes into contact with in in, in Murdoch that like every date is comedically bad and every situation is is comedically bad and you know that that doesn't feel fair it doesn't feel real and. For me, this is why I thought the, the the sitcom was so perfect, because at least as I understand sitcom as like a form of media, that's the point, is you show like life at an office can be weird and quirky, and then the weird and quirkiness is way over the top, you know, and like community college, like we can all relate to that because people, you know, because we've had similar experiences at, at college or whatever, or, you know, whatever our education or other situations, but nothing as extreme as that, like... How do you feel about how She-Hulk did that in terms of like, yeah, dating is bad. It's not as ridiculous as in a She-Hulk, but like anyone can watch that and relate to it. I think especially women who've gone through that kind of dating because it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's over the top and no one thinks it's real, but it's a stand in for what it really feels like. Did, yeah, did that no, kind of make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've found that fandom by and large doesn't really get humor, <laughs> Very well. But yeah, like I didn't take that as a commentary on men are bad. I took it as a commentary on dating 
is very difficult and as you say like amped up to cartoonish levels and like exactly again not to engage with arguments that are not being made in good faith but like the show has bruce it has matt it has pug it has the um guy who designed her costumes whose name i can't remember like there are plenty of good it has the whole support group of supervillains who are wonderful there are plenty and wong there are so many Mm. good men in this show exactly (sighs) exactly and i mean pug to me was such a good character like seeing him wrestle with having to say those terrible things (laughs) at the like basically like incel meeting you know it was just so perfect he's and great he's actually from the comics um i don't think nikki is but mallory and pug are in the um the dance slot run from the early 2000s nice nice so okay so we, we mentioned the finale and obviously that, that kind of brought up some stuff what what did what was your kind of overall take on the finale so <laughs> I'm torn because I see what they're doing, right? Like, first of mm-hmm. all, they're playing on the whole, you know, is sort of the, the final punchline to Jen uh, breaking the fourth wall and arguing with what the genre of the show is going to be. It was her finally getting her say and saying, no, this is not an action show. It is a uh, legal sitcom and winning that, which I appreciated. But the way that, the way that they did it, like... Because they're making fun of the MCU, right? They're mocking Marvel's process and they're mocking Marvel's formula and they're mocking Kevin Feige, but they're doing it in a way that also really hypes up Marvel. Mm -hmm. Um, And it becomes, it's sort of like how a bunch of Marvel movies have critiqued the military, but every Marvel movie has to be approved by the military before Mm -hmm. it can do that. It's like... Like, they had a joke about, um, like, at one point, Kevin, the AI, uh, says to Jen to turn back from She-Hulk into Jen, but not when the camera's on her because they haven't quite gotten the transition worked out and it doesn't look good. Right. Which is a And it's fun- more expensive. Right. And it's more expensive. Yeah. And it's a funny joke. But at the same time, the reason that it's a true joke is because they exploit their digital effects artists. And we all know yeah. that. So it's like... It's like they're trying to – it's hard to read intent. I could absolutely Mm -hmm. see, like, the writer's room having a really solid blistering point that they're making. And then it kind of gets defanged by the executive saying, yeah, if we look like we're laughing at ourselves, we can keep getting away with Mm. our, you know, creatively Mm. bankrupt, formulaic, AI-generated cultural – dominance yeah i think it's an interesting question and i think like the point you make about that that particular joke about and especially with how badly paid a lot of the, the digital workers are who do that transition is 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 making me think of it a little bit in a different light but but here's kind of where i was coming from it and maybe there's kind of uh, 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 some crossover here for me i think one of the reasons why i have been so more and more annoyed by the mcu is because of this, like, taking itself so seriously and, you know, having these, like, very serious, you know, world-ending stories and the total domination and it becoming to have all these problems. And, like, I love self-deferential humor. I love when someone can be like, look, I am a little bit ridiculous, but I love it. 
and you love it, but I'm going to at least acknowledge to you that it is a little ridiculous, you know? And I feel like this was that, that this was Kevin Feige and the MCU people saying like, yeah, and actually I should, I should back up for a second because to me it felt very relevant, especially because, you know, and this might be a separate side issue we can get into, but first just going to stick on the, 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 the self-referential humor part. This Matt Murdock is very different from the Matt Murdock of the Netflix <laughs> world, you know? And we're going to start having all these questions. We already do about, okay, what's the continuity? How does this all fit? You know, where does Marvel, you know, the Doctor Strange and is, is Wanda dead? And how does that affect all this other stuff? And like, to me, like I have often been talking about how I feel one of the MCU's problems is that it's getting so big and it it's becoming almost impossible to sustain the idea that this all is one singular continuity. And the way that it played out to me was kind of like them saying, you know what? Yeah, this Daredevil isn't quite the same as Netflix Devil Daredevil. In a lot of ways, it's completely different. In a lot of ways, it, it could be that character having a good day. But don't worry about the continuity so much. Let's just have some fun with it and we'll get back to the kind of more traditional storytelling down the street. And it, it, when I kind of say it kind of saved the MCU for me, that's kind of what I meant of like – for me, it feels now more comfortable to go back to watching some of the the less ridiculous stuff, at least knowing that they're on the joke with me. What you're pointing out about how it's actually can be used is also as a way of like, oh, look, we're poking fun at ourselves as a way to like shield the fact that like there's some really biting satire out there that has much more specific points they're trying to avoid. Yeah, I definitely hear you on that. And that 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 kind of adds a little bit of a different twinge to it, though. But I, I think that's why I liked it so much was in terms of it just being... It just being like Marvel being willing to, to to not take itself seriously for once. Yeah, no, I I I definitely hear what you're saying, and I'm not like I wasn't sitting there like stewing in anger or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was a clever way to end the season. Um, right. I think I probably would have preferred it without the Kevin AI like that really Mm -hmm. I just that really rubbed me the wrong way and it kind of what it reminded me a lot of too and this is like a really strong Marvel tradition because this is sort of how Stan Lee branded Marvel even going back into the 60s um this was a time Mm -hmm. when creators really weren't being credited very much you didn't really tend to know much about who was writing and drawing given comics um and Stan Lee not only said who was working on each comic, although, mm. you know, there's a lot of debate about whether those credits were accurate, but at least there were credits pages, but he also created personalities around them. And there would be like backup strips where you'd see like the Marvel bullpen and you'd see all the like writers and artists and editors, you know, poking fun at each other. And there was a lot mm. of trotting out the Marvel staff to mock mm. themselves in order to make the reader feel like they were part of the in group and in on the joke and get them further invested in the Marvel brand. And it worked and it like continues to work. Yeah. The difference is even when Marvel was at its height of number of copies sold in the sixties, it was not a billion multi-billion dollar juggernaut. Um, so there's a lot of, I don't know, it it worked on me too, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it just, there was also that bad taste in my mouth because 
Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to give them... Again, I'm happy to laugh with the writer's room. I do not want to laugh with the executives. That's fair. That's fair. And like, you know, it's one of those things where I'm very curious where Kevin Feige himself plays into this because... And this could be a whole other topic of discussion of like part of where I thought you were going with that, and I think it's tied in, is that like as Marvel was becoming this big brand, Stan Lee was becoming a brand himself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that I know there's a lot of weight a lot of times in which like Stan Lee kind of got more credit than maybe a lot of people think he should. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very good question to examine, in part because like he was the big name. Yep. I think it's very interesting that as far as I know, Kevin Feige is not doing the same kind of like stealing credit stuff, but you know, who knows what gets him behind the book. But like he is now the big name in a way that you don't really have with like a lot of the other huge franchises that are out there. And mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting that in that way, like he's kind of replaced Stan Lee as like, you know, the head honcho, the personality, the person, except that he's not a personality. We know very, very, he's not like all out in the public and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, and now I'm, I'm actually really sad about what could have been if Stan was still alive. I'm sure that that final scene would not oh, have yeah. been the Kevin AI. It would have been it would have been Stan, and that would have been really beautiful. And like, thank God they don't they're not good enough at CGI to do like one of those uncanny valley like oh, CGI. Yeah, no, you, you know, like the kind that they did with Carrie Fisher. And like, no, thank God mm-hmm. they're not doing that. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I. I was reading up on when all, all the um, DC and um, HBO Max and Discovery, like that whole merger happened mm-hmm. and everything seemed to be imploding. And there are all these stories about it. I was doing kind of a deep dive into the situation over there. And I found a lot of articles saying like, DC needs a Kevin Feige. Who's, who's Warner Brothers needs a Kevin Feige. Who's their Kevin Feige going to be? And I was like, D- I mean, they need, <laughs> don't get me wrong. They need help. But yeah. I don't know that this is the solution either. And that sure is a long list of white men that everybody keeps coming up with, too. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I do think that Kevin Feige, or at least, the like, Kevin Feige is the name attached to this set of work and how much it is him personally versus, like, who knows. But the fact that Marvel has done a very good job of having all of these pieces to a large extent fit together, not perfectly – um, and, and, and driving us in a lot of ways, I think is, is very much to their credit. And I, I do think that like one thing that the DC movies have not gotten well is that it hasn't been this kind of like all building to a thing, the whole, but like Kevin Feige is not going to fix Ezra Miller. <laughs> Kevin Feige is not going to fix all the racism and how Ray Fisher was treated. You know, mm-hmm. like there's Kevin Feige is not going to like remind them that like Superman can wear color. I mean, maybe he would, but like, that's not the skill set of a, when you say a Kevin Feige, that's, that's not what you mean. So, yeah. so yeah, I, I like, and it's funny because like, I do think Dave Filoni has now become the Kevin Feige of Star Wars and I'm very happy for that, but you're right. It can be quick to sort of say, okay, we need this for every franchise. Like D- DC has its own problems. Yeah, they certainly do. But that's another episode, a really also long true. one. Also true. <laughs> Yeah, no, I guess I hear where you're coming from. I think for me, it especially hit because of that joke that it is all now done by AI. Um, but it is also true that, like, the next thing coming to us is is Black Panther, which I'm fairly certain is going to be fairly outside of the, like, paint-by-numbers kind of formulas we're mm-hmm. looking for. But, yeah, I'll be 
I'm, I'm kind of, I think, at a weird place now after She-Hulk of like, yeah, like to me, it kind of felt like She-Hulk was kind of giving permission of like, this is no longer a meal. This is now a buffet. Yeah. And take what you want. Enjoy what you want. Probably a lot of the stuff that's all about time bending and multiverse, I'm going to skip because that's not for me. Yeah. Um, You know? And I think they, in some ways, kind of have to do that because they don't have a central franchise like the Avengers holding it together anymore. Like, I don't even know what the climactic movie of this phase would be. Like, a Doctor Strange movie? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I think I think they're all there's all this stuff about how they're building towards phase five and six, which is going to be more Avengers movies, um, you know, and it's going to be, I think, the the time wars and the, or the secret wars and, and all the stuff with Kang and all the like. But but yeah, I think it's funny. I, I, again, I try not to get wrapped up too much in trolls and things like that. But like seeing the people be so upset that like this wasn't for them, primarily being, you know, younger white men like. I think that was one of the things I loved about it. Like, I could very much enjoy She-Hulk, but I could also tell that, like, a lot of the th- – I, I did not relate to She-Hulk the way a lot of other people would, like, like a lot of other people did. I think in part because I haven't had those experiences as a woman. And a lot of her, her experiences I could relate to. But I kind of loved that. Like, I think it was okay to, I, to have someone who isn't like me. For Where for me watching it, it's more about learning about someone's experiences rather than, you know, okay, I see myself up on the screen there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, I don't relate directly to a lot of the characters in, say, Black Panther. Um, Mm -hmm. I still think that, like, it's a very human story with, like, human motivations that anybody can, you know, you can relate to the feeling even if you don't identify with the character. I also don't identify with Steve Rogers or Thor. (laughs) Like, that's not me. I'm not even necessarily saying that I, I mean, I identify with Foggy Nelson, if anybody, mm-hmm. like we know this, that's fair. we know I love Foggy. Um, but it, that's, it, it is a skill that, uh, many being able to relate to people who do not look like you or do not match you in every dem- demographic regard is a skill mm-hmm. that, uh, most straight white able-bodied men have never been asked to develop because they have so much representation and so they panic when they suddenly have to but everybody else is very very used to flexing in that regard yeah um i also i saw this um you know i saw this on social media so i it looked they looked like real screenshots to me but who knows um but uh the when the um they show like the intelligentsia website and like all the comments of people being like mm-hmm. why is everything got to be female now um the basically i saw a post saying like those are all taken from actual responses to the announcement of the she-hulk show like actual mm-hmm. social media comments and like whether that's literally true or not We've all seen those comments online. Like it was, yeah, it was very, very real. Yeah, in some ways, like compared to like the bad dates and stuff like that, that felt like it wasn't exaggerated for humor. Like it yeah. was, and and I think that, like you said, because the fact that is, you can find those exact tweets on everything about She Hulk and everything about Ms. Marvel, that everything about Captain Marvel, like and and then find their racist equivalents on everything about you know Black mm-hmm. Panther or Falcon or all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean that I like. Like you said, it's not exaggerated at all. If you look at the 
<laughs> the rate of violence against women, if you look at the amount of mm-hmm. revenge porn on the internet, like all of that stuff is, I found completely realistic. And in some ways, I think that was part of what I really loved about not necessarily the like breaking through the writer's room part of the finale, but just how it wound up winding up the story that the big bad wasn't another superpowered person she could punch because that the challenge was never could she punch hard enough. Yeah. The challenge was always could a woman be awesome in these ways without these sad little men dragging her down through bullying and through trolling and through literal revenge porn type things. Yeah. Um, and that was the only thing that Jen objected to in the realism of the finale that Todd would suddenly get superpowers from her blood. She was like, that's stupid. She had no, like, obviously she had objections personally and morally to the rest of it, but she didn't have like plausibility objections. She wasn't like that part stupid. She was like, yeah, that happens. But like Bruce showing up in the middle of nowhere to fight my battle for me. No. Yeah. And and just like that 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 it cuts away from what the stakes are because mm-hmm. the stakes are supposed to be that he doesn't need superpowers to attack her in the ways that he is. Yep. And I thought it, for that reason, the fact that like at a moment where I think any person would probably be at one of their angriest when this like you know uh, video that was taken of someone she thought she could really trust you know or at least you know was a, a fun date who she had some degree of trust with, exposing her in front of her legal colleagues in this horrible way. Of course she gets angry. And I think that's such a perfect metaphor for the idea of like you can deal with like the slings and arrows of 99.9% of things. But if you get angry once mm-hmm. and it's recorded, then all of your anger is seen as illegitimate. Yeah. You know? And that that's true for everyone. But I think especially for women, especially for people of color, especially for, for all sorts of folks who are not the traditional, you know, the voice you're supposed to see. Yep. If women get angry – they are seen as irrational and too emotional. And if people of mm-hmm. color get angry, they get all of that, plus they're violent. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that way, like it being the like, you know, just the her, her – she solves the problem by figuring out the mystery and identifying the person and, and dealing with him instead of like, can I punch hard enough, you know? Yep. How did you feel then about um, Titania and her story? Because I know nothing about her from comics, but I felt like – in some ways, it was kind of a great fake out. And I, I do think the idea of like, well, a woman hero needs another woman to punch, like, is kind of getting away from the whole point of all this. And I love the way she played a role, but obviously it was kind of a like an anticlimax in terms of we didn't get a big battle with her. Did, did Were you missing anything there? Because like for me, I think I, I loved it based on the like, yeah, you know, it's because the, the whole point is that another woman shouldn't be the enemy for her. But like, what, what's kind of your take on it? So I actually – I've read comics with Titania before because she shows up in She-Hulk comics. Like basically mm-hmm. she's not an influencer in the comics because she's been around since the 80s and that wasn't a thing. Yeah. Um, but she shows up in a very similar role to just like kind of be annoying and then they punch each other. But she's not like – generally she's not a serious adversary. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, where did she come from? So I just looked it up before we recorded. Um, she – first showed up in Secret Wars. She was an ordinary woman. Dr. Doom gave her powers. And that's kind of, like, that's it. I mean, she has a very long Wikipedia page, but, like, nobody, like, I don't want to say nobody cares, because I'm sure there are many people who love the character. I enjoy her when she shows up. But it's, like, by nobody cares, I mean, like, she's big, she's strong, like, she's very tall in the, like, she's, Mm -hmm. like, She-Hulk size in the comics. Um, She's super strong. She has beef with She-Hulk. They punch each other. It's funny. Like, and that's 
that's all it needs to be. Like it's enjoyable just on that level. And these days she's not even like in the current She-Hulk run. Um, she and Jen will just like, she's not really a bad guy anymore. So they'll just like mm-hmm. fight, but like they spar yeah. cause it's fun. Um, so I thought that the, like the version of her in the show is pretty different because of the whole influencer angle. Um, mm-hmm. But I just thought it was just fun. Like she was having, yeah. like the character's fun. Jamila Jamila is having so much fun with the part. Like everything about it was just like, this is enjoyable. Yeah, I thought the whole sheet, like the whole suing over the name thing, which was also kind of a great way to like acknowledge like the name is stupid and derivative and like a woman shouldn't have to have the she version of the male hero. But it, it gave away for her to be like, no, okay, if you're suing me, I will claim that name as dumb as it is. And yeah, I just, I just love, like, I thought the whole influencer thing was like them exploring a whole new part of society that like hasn't really been talked about much, but they did it in really fun ways. The the wedding episode to me was so great because it just felt like, yeah, the superhero isn't the problem. The problem is like, you know, like I've, I've been to weddings where like, you know, someone I really didn't want to see was there and I had to deal with it. And yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just thought they, it was a really fun way to bring that character into the show and create, you know, what you have in a sitcom, which is you don't have big bads. I mean, we did like Todd is the big bad, but what you have are like annoying people, <laughs> like the yeah. Newman of the show, someone who shows up and you're like, Oh no. But the audience is like, Oh yes, because they know whatever is about to happen is going to be entertaining. Right. It's, it's much more antagonists than it is villains. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. In a way that I think really worked. And like, we don't know anything about her motivation. We don't know anything about her grand plans. And maybe that'll be a season two or season three, or maybe not. It's fine. Yeah. I, I didn't need anything else. Like, if they want to give us more, I'd be happy to watch it because I enjoyed the character. But if they want to mm-hmm. be like, this is all you ever get. This is the, the depth that she has. I'm like, great. She's mm-hmm. extremely entertaining. Yeah. So, Ethics Podcast, we do got to find some of that to talk about. And I... I was really interested in how they were going to do – what they were going to do with the story of Abomination because, yeah, the idea of like – I mean for me, one of the things I always wrestle with with the show is like with the MCU, it's basically about cops. Like it's about yeah. cops and a clerical system, the prison system, all things that we kind of like stand pretty firmly against. And, you know, parole and redemptive justice and like restorative justice to me are all things that I certainly believe in. And – I know that there's a lot of, like, objections to it. I, What did you think of, like, watching Emil, this person we'd seen in, granted, one of the least watched of the MCU movies and one that is kind of sort of MCU, but with Ed Norton, not um, – uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name uh, – Mark Ruffalo. Like, what did you think of the, on the take of Emil and the story we got of him? I – was very surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where I was like, I don't, I don't really know where this is going. Like yeah. each, um, <clears throat> each episode that heavily featured him, I was like, I don't, I don't know where the show is going. I don't know, you know, when, when Jen first shows up to defend him, I didn't know if she could take him at his word. Um, and when she goes off to his like retreat in the woods, I was mm-hmm. like, there was part of me that was expecting like this 11th hour twist where the villains turn on her, where she is betrayed. And I, I found myself dreading it because yeah. I had grown to like them and I didn't want him to let me down. And so in the finale, 
when it's revealed that he is, you know, doing this speaking for intelligentsia, I was really, I felt betrayed. Like I felt personally betrayed because I had grown to love this character so much. And when it's eventually revealed, like he, he clearly didn't really realize the connection and was not doing it to harm Mm -hmm. Jen. Like, yes, he broke the terms of his parole by transforming into the abomination. And yes, he knew he wasn't supposed to do that. I did think 10 years back in prison was way harsh Ty. like the, he didn't hurt anybody um yeah. i mean except indirectly and inadvertently hurting jen but if she's not pressing charges i thought that was way 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 too harsh and i'm glad that wong got him out of there uh, immediately he was like yeah you're not sticking around here <laughs> but yeah like i really there's this thing that superhero media does where very few villains get permanent redemptions, right? Like mm-hmm. Harvey Dent is always going to turn back into Two-Face. Um, Smallville got 10 years out of Lex Luthor's going to be evil someday. And to see a character, not, not a character like, I don't know, Scott Lang, who used to be a thief, but now he's a hero. We don't really need to think about the crime part because right. he has a heart of gold. Um, but to see a character who really was like a supervillain go through the process of like actual like self-examination and changing his behavior mm-hmm. and making amends, even via a sitcom lens, was rare and nice. It really was. And and yeah, I had the exact same set of reactions to the last episode of where I really didn't want him to be in on the intelligentsia act. And then I was like, okay, no, he's just kind of a clueless guru, which is kind of how they, like, I remember also when they showed him with like the seven adoring wives, (laughs) I was like, okay, so either this could be like, you know, he's a little bit of a sleazeball or just like he is that kind of guru poly, you know, but I'm not sure if any, like, I don't know if any of them are allowed to date other men. And that kind of raises some ethical questions, but like, yeah, it felt like he was kind of you know, harmless in a lot of yeah. ways, in ways that I really liked. And I, I was I was definitely mad at that. And yeah, I was definitely just, I, I got that they, it, was, it would be a whole new thing, but I didn't like She-Hulk being like, yep, you broke your parole. You're supposed to go back to jail now, buddy. I wanted her being like, no, the abomination was this super violent thing, not the fact that he's eight feet tall and has weird ears. And like, yeah. you know... That, that's for the legal show that we get another day and that's fine but I, I overall really loved his character I loved that sort of redemption arc he has um, and, and it being both serious and funny you know that like he he is genuinely actively expressing himself on his journey with haiku and that that's great but the haiku are really bad you know and that yeah. his one of the guys in encounter group porcupine is like actively trying to like fight his issues and like come out of his suit, but Oh God, it smells terrible. Put the suit back on. Like it just, it all worked so well. Yeah. I think you hit on something there when you said it's genuine, but it's funny. I think that the show, that's a real strength of the show. The emotions are always really, really genuine. Mm -hmm. And that's what we connect with, even though, you know, it's still a comedy. So like, even even going back to the first episode, um, and all the like silly back and forth between Bruce and Jen over like, who's stronger and whether she has a handle on her powers, etc. Underneath it all, 
because even via, you know, mediocre CGI, Mark Ruffalo is very good at this. You see his his pain and his grief, like especially mm-hmm. when he mentions Tony, it remains really palpable. And the show is it, it's so good throughout at balancing both of those things. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's true. Um, So let's get to the daredevil of it all. Yes. Um, Matt Murdock is a character I know you have very strong feelings about. Um, And I understand you are a very big fan of the Netflix show. This is obviously a fairly different portrayal of Matt Murdock. Um, What would you think? I loved it. Um, I, you know, the the Netflix show surprised me um, Mm -hmm. with how much I loved it because it is not the kind of thing that I gravitate towards. It's a lot darker than what I usually like. And like, you know, if you, I, I had not read very much Marvel before I got into Daredevil comics via the show. And then I started reading other mm-hmm. things. And if you had asked me before that, like, what Marvel character do you think would be your gateway drug here? Daredevil would have been like second to last on the list uh, before Punisher, who I also mm-hmm. have now read hundreds of comics about. Um So to see this character who I love played by an actor who whose performance of the character I love in this genre, like it was just it was just a joy to me. Um, It felt very much like um, very true to like the early issues of Daredevil, like the Silver Age stuff where he was wearing that yellow and red costume or um, the. the run that was that went from 2011 to 2015 that was written by Mark Wade and drawn by Paulo Rivera and then Chris Somney, which is my favorite Daredevil comic of all, mm-hmm. like this very joyful, wisecracking, swashbuckling version of the character. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that like, because those were like the new comics when they were casting and filming the show. And I know that Charlie Cox had said, in interviews like he loved the wade run and he kept asking the writers to write more jokes for matt because he really wanted a chance to be funny so like watching it not only was i happy for me but i was happy for charlie because i was like he's having such a good time and i was deeply impressed with him as an actor because i i I don't know the comics so i do love the netflix daredevil and I did think sometimes it got a little bit overly broody, but I loved how much, like, it was taking legal questions seriously. It was taking ethical questions seriously. It was taking religious, ethical, and violence questions seriously. And, like, in some ways, there was a little bit of sadness because I did felt like it, th- that this was also kind of telling me the Matt Murdock we're going to get is not the Matt Murdock of Netflix. And, but, it, but because it was so much fun and it was so good and... Honestly, seeing the fact that Charlie Cox has so much range that he could play both of those roles so well and could make me believe – like, I do think that there's a real set of tone that this is different from Netflix in like – especially the fact that the hallway scene was done clearly as an homage to Netflix. But even before, you know, uh, She-Hulk shows up, there was all this like, you know, CGI and like kind of camera angle changes and like it was – it was clearly saying like this is not going to be the Netflix Daredevil. But I do believe this could be the same person, you know? I yeah. mean, I certainly I certainly have been the person who is filled with angst and depression and regret and doubt, but can put on a happy face or even just have a happy day and forget all about that. And a woman like She-Hulk Jennifer Walters would certainly be a good reason to do that. <laughs> um and like I still have some hope that there's kind of like, yeah, he went he left New York and had a vacation and now he's back in New York and he's wrestling with things. But like 
maybe this means him and Foggy can continue to be friends and like not have angst and friendship grief all three seasons. <laughs> um, like as much as I love oh, my the, child, right? Like as much as I love the tone of Netflix Daredevil, I think this was kind of if this is the way of easing us into the new version of Daredevil, I'm here for it. And and especially him kind of being objectified in, by the show. Yes. And like, like, you know, I think a, if a male character was like, yep, I did this and I did this and I smashed Wonder Woman, it wouldn't work. No. For obvious reasons. But for her to do it, like, yes, it's a double standard, but it's a double standard born out of thousands of years of misogyny. So it, it's a good thing. Like, it was just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... Don't get me wrong, like, Netflix Daredevil was tonally accurate to the vast majority of Daredevil comics, at least from the 80s on. Um, Mm -hmm. So seeing this, like, brighter Daredevil, while definitely, like, based in comics, like, it's less typical. The The Netflix version was more typical. Um, but that's the thing about... I mean, the, the character is what... Um, sorry, I'm doing math in my head. 58 years old now? Mm-hmm. So there's a, a wide range of tone that we are yeah. looking at here. There's a long history. And, you know, we see with... It's usually not with the same actor, but certainly with other characters batman is the best example we do see this really wide range of tone like you can have something like adam west or lego batman and then you can have something like the most recent batman movie and like yeah those both feel like batman um so it's nice to see uh other characters and especially other actors getting to flex in that way um and yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason Matt couldn't be in a particularly good mood. The last we saw him, things were actually pretty good for him. Like he'd mm-hmm. he'd made up with Foggy and Karen. Um, he their law practice was back together. They're apparently doing well enough for him to go to California to take a case rant. I don't know how he can practice in California in the comics. He. Has, he has a license in California as well as whatever. There's a lot of legal questions that we breezed over. We just we, we don't need to talk about that. I mean, look, maybe he just has seasonal depression and now he's in California and he's feeling sun on his face for the first time in 10 years and he's in a great mood. New York is not a shiny, happy place. I love New York City so much, but you leave it and yeah, your attitude can change a little bit. I, I can be down with I, that. I, I live here. It's been raining for two days. It's I'd be thrilled to go to California and hang out with She-Hulk. Can, can you also tell me, as someone who really knows something character, when someone says a good Catholic boy like Matt Murdock wouldn't have a one night stand with someone he just met. <laughs> your response to that because because my impression is matt murdoch is is racking him up and putting him down pretty fast i mean first of all matt murdoch is not a good catholic boy matt murdoch is a catholic boy Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure he's not supposed to be doling out that many concussions and telling that many lies and Mm -hmm. um engaging in that many um legal 
ethical uh, violations. Like, the man uh, has... He once took a case against himself. Like... Right. This... He had Spider-Man dress up as Daredevil so he could cross-examine himself. Like, the... It, <laughs> it was great. So good. He... Yes, he is Catholic. He's not a good Catholic. That's why he spends all that time berating himself. But also, right. I say this. He has Catholic guilt about it, which yes. is very, very Catholic. But right. Yes, it's not the same thing. But also, and I say this with love and respect in my heart and not meaning it in a judgmental way, but he is a slut. Yeah. Like, he absolutely is. Wolverine canonically called him the biggest himbo in tights. This is That's a, phenomenal. an actual statement from a comic. The Not the current run, because Marvel did the thing where they had a, a comic that started in 2019 that was written by Chip Zdarsky, and then they canceled it this year and then started a new one that's also written by Chip Zdarsky and is the same story. It's just a new number one. But the 2019 mm-hmm. one literally begins with Matt reading, meeting a random woman at a bar and having sex with her. Like, <laughs> it, Well... And I also love that the show very intentionally, like, put him out to be a bit of a slut, which no shame in his game whatsoever. No. Um, uh, maybe stay away from the people who were, like, the super bad ones. But, you know, uh, I'll let the Electra will another story. Um, but, like, he did a walk of shame. He was kind of the slutty one. We had a TV show about a female superhero and a female protagonist who slept with three different men the day she met them within maybe... Well, one of them she tried to sleep with them the day she met him. Took a little longer. The other two, she did go to bed with them the night she met them. Uh, This was all within maybe like six weeks. And the show didn't slut-shame her in the slightest. No. Like, that is phenomenal to me in terms of them portraying her. Yeah, she has an active sex life. And sometimes, like, so often... If you have sex with someone and then it turns out that they are not good, that means the woman's supposed to learn her lesson and save herself next time and all this judgmental nonsense. I mean, just the fact that she does not have what I would call a love interest is remarkable. Like, like you said, she sleeps with three different guys. There's a whole episode that's all about her dating. And like Matt does come back and he meets her family. But like, we all know he's a guest star. He's not going to be in season two. Especially yeah. because Daredevil Born Again is coming before season two. And I'm I'm very I'm very sorry to tell you this, but if it has that title, things are not going to go well for him at all. Um mm-hmm. so we are not getting happy Matt back for a while, is my <laughs> guess. Um but like, like she doesn't and, and Charlie Cox looks good brooding and I love the Catholic stuff and so he I'm cries not beautifully. It's I, I'm whatever they want to give me, I'm happy. Um mm-hmm. As long as they do not kill Karen, that is, that is, or Foggy. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like she doesn't have, Jen wants to date. She would like a boyfriend. She likes sex. Um, you know, we, she also clearly wants a romantic relationship if that's on offer, but it's not a priority for her. It definitely yeah. comes after work and that's fine. Like, it's not a huge aspect of the show, except in the ways that it can be mined for comedy. And that's very rare with a story that's about a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And like, even when, like, 
the first guy she meets who really is kind of like awesome and and like that again in the kind of like there's a ridiculously bad date and so he's now the ridiculously perfect date you know he's the doctor with children he tips the waiter he does all the things well he's not threatened by her in any way and then it turns out that he's only into she-hulk he's not into like jen like that's done as like okay well that's kind of dumb and and hurtful and 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 not really great but it's not like she isn't like oh i wanted him to be the love of my life it's like yeah it was a good night turned out i'm not gonna have any others and that's kind of shitty but or that's kind of bad but fair enough yeah she it's it's not the way that he reacts to jen is like a data point in the overall landscape of what she's grappling with but Mm -hmm. that it's it's just a data point what's important is how she understands and feels about herself and not what a man thinks about her exactly exactly so I think it's probably a good place to start wrapping up. I wanted to keep this to about an hour or so. Is there any other kind of last things about She-Hulk and the show that you, we didn't get a chance to talk about that you wanted to bring up? Um, Just that uh, when Nikki and Pug are looking for the guy who makes uh, super suits and they find the guy selling Avengers bootleg merchandise and they're like, that says That's Avengers. So like sometimes I'll just be like, you know, doing the dishes or whatever and my brain will just go, Avengers, and I start laughing. Like it's so stupid and it's so good. Oh, it's and I also really loved um, the drunk sorority girl who becomes friends with Wong, and she should be Madison in every. Y, but it's not where you think. She should be in every MCU property going forward. She's my favorite character. I love her. It. I. You know. I will say. I've been thinking of rewatching this, of watching for the first time The Sopranos sometimes. So I need to forget the things <laughs> that she spoiled. But yeah. But like, and that was so real. You know. Yeah. And like. I, I've often talked about that one of the things that I love is when you get to the like because most things start with like the whole world is like oh, a superpower, a Hulk, a to- no, he's like we're we've never seen this. I like that with both Ms. Marvel and now this, we're really getting into a world of where like this is the new normal. You know, yeah. people have gotten used to superheroes now, and like there are people making a living designing super suits, and there are like I mean. Everything about what was his name? The Great Frog, the the the, the ribbit, ribbit and ribbit is just oh, such leapfrog. a good line. Is he someone from the cart the, yeah. the comics? Is that invented for this? Okay, he was so good. I loved everything about him. He was great. There are some incredibly dark Daredevil stories about him. Really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I liked him better in the show. Very fun in the show. For sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jess, for being a part of this. Always love having you on. Uh, for people who are like, yeah, this person got lots of great ideas. I want to hear more. Where can they hear you or find you? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Jess underscore Plummer, and I'm a contributing editor at bookriot.com, where I write mostly about comics. I actually um, fairly recently had an article go up about um, the best Daredevil comics of all time. Um, I also mm-hmm. have written a couple of things about She-Hulk, so you should check that out. Um, and I uh, recently had a short story in an Arthurian anthology called Swordstone Table, and that's in stores now. Yeah, really, really great book. Uh, I've loved a lot of your writing. Uh, I will say I'm looking at uh, one of my favorite podcasts was this thing called Flights and Tights. <laughs> and it looks like the most recent episode is from 2020. Um, yeah. Are we ever going to get new Flights and Tights content? 
Uh, well, Flights and Tights uh, is a Superman movie podcast, so if they make another Superman movie, um, I guess we'll be obligated to record another episode. But um, I would love to get back to it. It's just, it's just the the as you know, the time uh, life is a lot. Yeah. yeah, I get that. But we do have, I think, seven episodes. Uh, we did an episode on every Superman movie that exists and uh, every live action one, at least. And mm-hmm. they're up for anyone who wants to listen to them. It's a great podcast um, for the five-year-old in me who watched Christopher Reeves and thought he was the greatest thing ever and wanted to fly. It kind of broke my heart a bit, but like, it's still wonderful. It's- I liked Superman I- 4. <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. Uh, as always, great to have you on. Uh, and for those of us who are fans, thank you so much. I am The Ethical Panda. Go to theethicalpanda.com to find all my stuff. Find all the ways to contact us. We love feedback. I'm getting ready to do a feedback episode pretty soon. Of course, on Star Wars Universe Podcast, we're doing every episode of Andor. Check that out. And just please be awesome fans. Please keep listening. And remember, we're all fighting our own rebellion. Whoa!